Welcome to the Free Retiree Show. My name is Lee Michael Murphy. I've been in wealth management for the last 10 years right in the heart of the Silicon Valley. People have always asked me, how do I achieve financial independence? And while the financial world wants you to believe it's as simple as investing your money, I'm here to tell you it's a small piece of the puzzle. I've seen four consistent factors in the people that have achieved financial independence. One, they excel in their career. Two, they manage their money properly. Three, they're able to avoid devastating financial mistakes. They can see through the BS. And lastly, they understand they need to learn from the best, the people that have achieved success in their career and their finances. Join us on our journey as we learn how to become free retirees. Welcome in, boys and girls. You are listening to the Free Retiree Show. I'm your host, wealth manager, Lee Michael Murphy. I'm alongside career advisor, Sergio Valentino Patterson. What's up, everyone? How are you guys doing? Doing well, man. Happy to have you. And we are also alongside Silicon Valley's favorite attorney, Matthew McElroy. What's going on? All right. The title of our episode today is So you want to start a lawsuit. We've all been there at some point in time where we thought we were treated unfairly, we were wronged, and we immediately think, I'm going to sue your ass. I mean, that's what goes through my mind, I guess. So what does that look like? A lot of us, we think we've been wrong. We want to sue them. Matt, this is what you do. This is is what Mr. McElroy does. What are you going to be talking about today? Yeah, this is what I unfortunately live and breathe every day. <laughs> and uh, it, it's, it's, it's kind of an ugly world, I'm not going to lie. There's just so many things people just toss around all the time, like, oh, I'll see you in court, or I'm, I'll take you to court, I'm going to sue you, whatever. And they have no clue whatsoever what any of that entails, what really goes on and, and goes into a lawsuit. And, and so I'm just going to kind of take everybody through that process and try to shed some light on, uh, I guess, the pros, the cons, and uh, give them a realistic expectation of what to expect if they're going to go that route. Awesome. be a very informative episode. So we're going to go to the break. But before we do so, make sure you like our show, share us on Facebook, share us on LinkedIn. We really appreciate all the love and support. And if you have any questions, career-related, legal-related, financial-related, Send them to ask at the free retiree.com. We're going to go to the break. Then when we're back, we'll talk with Matt McElroy. Welcome back into the free retiree show. Today, we're talking about lawsuits. So, you want to start one? There's someone that's really pissed you off, and you say, I'm going to sue you. You'll see, so for me, you know, I'll say, you're going to see my attorney, Matt McElroy. He's the best. And then they'll say, well, you, you'll talk to my attorney. I said, like, well, does your attorney have a full sleeve with Lady Justice on their arm? Mine does. <laughs> That's my attorney, Matt McElroy. So, Matt, what are you talking about today? Yeah, you know, most of my clients don't get to see my tattoos, but. Uh... <laughs> they are missing out. They're missing out, actually funny D- Damien well, my boss sometimes goes oh bust them out at mediation show the other side you're not messing around like <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say if there's like a lawyer whoever like pisses you off just roll up your sleeves and be like you know I know how I know MMA I know oh yeah you know it's it's funny that you guys have to say lawyer, lawyer that pisses me off because I, I just I had this phone call with this attorney he's not he's not even opposing counsel he is now somewhat but we're issuing a uh, a subpoena 
and his clients, you know, a very well-off tech guy, and we're trying to take his deposition. And this guy, he, he's a he's a veteran, right? He's been practicing like maybe 30, 40 years. He calls me up. He was the biggest dick I have ever dealt with. You should have heard. He was tell he was basically telling me like, "Oh, hey, look, little boy, you went to Lincoln. You don't know what you're doing." <laughs> and he's like, he's like, and I was like, "Okay, well, explain to me how I'm, I don't know what I'm doing." And he couldn't explain it. He said that I'm obviously one of those attorneys that whines a lot. And, and I mean, he was just like, wrong, he, there, there was no, there was no lawyering going on. He was just purely talking shit to me. It's, <laughs> just like, Wait, it's does, just he, crazy. does he know you? Does this guy, actually, is this normal? Is this standard practice? Yeah, no, he's a litigation attorney based in like Southern California. So like, I'll never probably see this guy in person. We'll never really cross paths. He's not really in the case. He's only in the case because we're trying to, to subpoena his client. And, uh, yeah, it's just, <laughs> it, it doesn't happen very often, but it, it does happen. You just get these guys, like, he, he doesn't care about lawyering. He just wants to be an obstructionist and talk some shit. And, and, and here's the thing is that I, I, I look this guy up because obviously after he says those things to me, I'm like, okay, I want to know who I'm talking to. So let me go Google him. I look at him. He's this little, little guy that's like probably close to his uh, 70s, probably like five foot two and uh, got a little bit of a little man syndrome going on. I don't want to get too off topic with it, but yeah, there, there's, there's a lot of shit talk that goes on with attorneys. And, and I guess the moral of the story is I, I do not think that this guy would talk to me that way if we we're in person. For listeners that don't know, uh, Matt McElroy, he's uh he's six, three and he's a, uh actually a very good kickboxer and does a lot of mixed martial arts. He is definitely the toughest attorney I've ever met. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't think anything would ever come physically to, to these kind of situations, but I just, this guy's obviously a keyboard warrior. <laughs> he, he, he can be very tough because there's some distance between us. That's <laughs> so hope he doesn't listen to the show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so let's talk about lawsuits, Matt. You hear it all the time. People say, oh, I'm going to sue them because they treated me so bad. What, what does that look like? Like, what is your opinion? What do people need to know if they're going to go through this process? Is it an easy process? Uh, can we get this thing done in a month? Like, <laughs> what does it cost? Yeah, I'm going to go over all those points. It, 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 like, to shortly summarize it, it's a horrible process. Mm -hmm. It's extremely expensive. And it can just destroy you emotionally, mentally, everything. I mean, it's, it's, it's just a lot. It takes a lot out of you. Financially? Oh, yeah, financially. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, that's part of the, the emotion that goes into it is that you're, you know, you're, you're financing this lawsuit that can be crazy expensive. I mean, the average lawsuit that we're seeing now to take it from beginning to end and like, let's just say the full cycle from when you start the research and draft the very the complaint and then see it all the way through trial. I mean, you're talking hundred thousand to three hundred thousand dollars just just to get it through. And then that's not even accounting things happen after like appeal and whatever else. So there's and then also too, you can go all that way. You can win get this wonderful judgment, get $2 million for your client, but then you got to go collect that money. <laughs> That's a whole nother battle. So it's like, in some ways you get through this huge obstacle and then a whole nother hurdle gets presented. So it, there's, I'll get more in detail with that, but there, there's just so much in the background that you got to know before you decide to make this decision of going forward with a lawsuit. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think the best way to do it is to kind of maybe talk through it in like an example. And so maybe I could, I'll use you and Sergio and get you guys can be my guinea pigs on this. Yeah, that's yeah. fun. All right, so like let's just pretend right now that all three of us we just decided, hey, housing market 
tanked. We want to go and invest in a, in a property together. Right. So we go get this property and you guys are like, Oh Matt, you're a real estate attorney. You should manage it. You know, what's up. And I'm like, yeah, sure. No problem. And then, so I'm just like, Hey Lee, Sergio, like let's put, since I'm going to be the one managing it, even though, you know, we're all paying equal shares for it and whatever, let's put it in my name. So it'll be easier to manage. Right. That sounds shady. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it does in some ways. Yes, but not unheard of. <laughs> and well, especially too, you have to look at the situation. Like we're all friends. So there's a level of trust. And then also where this situation will present itself a lot of times is with family members. Right. And so there's, when you, when people enter into these kind of agreements, there's a certain level of trust where they don't, they don't think these bad things will happen in the future. And so, so say I'm like, uh, everything goes great with, managing the property for like 10 years and then all of a sudden you guys are like okay let, let's cash out our investments like gone up crazy let, let's liquidate and get out of this and then there you're like oh come on matt let's sell this and then matt's like oh shit where did matt go matt went dark we, can, we can't get a hold of matt what happened to matt <laughs> and so i just decided to just ghost you guys and you guys never hear from me again but this property's sitting in my name and you guys have no record title or anything to it you guys are in a spot, right? Yeah, we sound like we're, I mean, if there's no documentation, like, correct me if I'm wrong, like, do we even have a case? Like, well, if that, it, that's the thing, right? If that's, it's in so your you, name? You guys are like, shit, what are my options? It's like, my only option is to bring a lawsuit against Matt to make him give us the property, right? And uh, that is, that's pretty much your guys' only alternative because the, the record title sits in my name. You guys, like you said, you don't have any any rights to it on paper. So what do you guys do first, right? You guys go, okay, I want to bring a lawsuit. Step one, I need to find an attorney. Okay. And so that is a process in itself because and, and arguably I think it could be the most important process because the, the, the vast difference that you get from these attorneys in the market, it's crazy. Some of these people are extremely competent and then you get some people that have no business doing this. They're just, they screw things up so bad that it's just like, wow, I can't believe you passed the bar exam. Now, how, how, what, are some, what are some common traits of attorneys we should avoid? Like, let's say I, Lee and I are bringing up a lawsuit. We're running our search. How, how does someone know? Is, it just, are they, is there like a Yelp system for attorneys? Yeah, that, 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 that's a great question. And yeah, there, there's, lo there's lots of ways. That, the Yelp is an excellent tool. Okay. You, you'll see a, a lot of attorneys end up getting reviews on Yelp. And a lot of times they're very, uh, they're very truthful. You'll see, you know, like I, I've, I've, I've had clients that have come to me from other attorneys and they're like, Oh, that person was horrible. They were so disrespectful. They talked down to me. They yelled at me. And they're talking about their attorney, right? I go over and I, I look the guy up and I look at his Yelp and you got five other complaints of the same kind of thing. You can see that stuff. And then you'll also get Yelp is a good way to ferret out the attorneys that, cause you get a lot of attorneys that will go and they'll take you on as a client. They'll file a lawsuit for you. And they don't do anything for a really long time after. They just let it sit. They're like, oh, I got you. I got your case here. It's, it's filed and, you know, we'll handle it more at a later date. And, and, you know, that's a really bad way to handle it. I mean, the, the best way to do it is Google and Yelp reviews is the first start, right? You look there. And then once you find out, you narrow it down to some of the, the attorneys that you like, you then go a little deeper. You go look them up on the state bar website. You see, do they possess a specialization in anything? Have they ever been disciplined? Things like that. And that, that can shed a lot of light. And then, um, and then the, the next step is contacting them. Talk to them. I mean, you, I, I can't tell you how much people could learn just, just getting on the phone and asking questions. 
you get a feel like because a big part of it is like you're 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 essentially going to be like married to this person for the life of the lawsuit right so you're you're anywhere from one to five years and you're gonna have to deal with this person a lot you're going to be giving this person a lot of your money you want to have a good rapport and a good vibe from them because if you don't then yeah. it's 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 not going to be a comfortable process this, this is probably a dumb question but for these types of cases are there like there's not public defenders are there like pro bono people that could help or the, for this type you'd have to find someone and pay them well i mean there's there's always a possibility of finding a lawyer pro bono that will do it like pro bono just means that like they're doing it for free and they're not yeah. charging anything it's like community service almost and so there's always the possibility that you can get a lawyer that will do that right but the most places like i think what you're talking about more is maybe like lawyers that would take this like on a contingency yeah because I'm, I'm trying to think like because you're going to get into like the cost of this as a lee and i were needed a lawyer let's just say we work average jobs like how do everyday people find good lawyers and pay for good lawyers and the, yeah that's really what the problem is is that it's hard it's it's hard to do that in in like an everyday person like for me for example like i couldn't afford my services i couldn't afford to want what i make now to carry a lawsuit from start to finish it's it's way too expensive you know what i mean and, and i think you're i think you're totally right like the average joe would have an extremely hard time and, and that, that's part of the problem with the system i think is that it's like a barrier right and people are their their rights are in a way getting diminished be just because they're not financially secure enough to take it a certain amount of certain distance it's really not right but at the same time <laughs> operate operating as a lawyer is not cheap you know what yeah, i mean like it's it, it, there there's there's lots of overhead costs that we have that the reason that we kind of charge what we do and um so yeah so kind of getting on to that that what you're talking about with costs once say you and lee go pick that lawyer that you guys like right you guys find somebody you vibe with them anybody that's that's probably decent in in the real estate field they're going to charge you a retainer right and the retainer is going to span anywhere from 5000 i mean i've seen it as high as 50000 so it it, you know, it just depends on the firm obviously the more reputable firms that are you know kind of big deals in this area like berliner cohen and uh, mcmanus faulkner and some of those those big big firms they're uh, they're gonna have bigger retainers than like a boutique firm like what me and damien have going on castaneda company so and, and it also too it, it is dependent upon the case that you bring in you know what i mean if your case is super complex and you have all these issues that need to be explored it's like hey we know we're going to be spending a lot of time on this and just figuring it out so we need to get a certain amount of security to to make sure that they, that it's uh basically secure that we're going to get paid <laughs> yeah this is interesting like i was like lee you know how we have like life insurance when things go wrong you have yeah. something it sounds like they're you almost need a lawyer insurance or like lawyer like if something like five to fifty thousand dollars five thousand to fifty thousand dollar retainer yeah. like i'm just curious like how many people have that readily available to give to a lawyer well and see that's what like say like like attorneys if they say say like the, a good example of what you just said is like say an attorney gets sued they have malpractice insurance and that'll pay for that lawyer or like a real estate broker say they get sued for something they messed up on a transaction most of them have insurance for that transaction and that lawyer will step in and pay for them so they, they only pay whatever their deductible is and they don't have to finance the lawsuit but on the other hand the like say you're like saying saying like your typical real estate dispute transaction right you have the buyer and you have the seller and then you have the brokers on each side 
the buyer got screwed over because the seller didn't disclose something. The buyer has to go finance that suit against the seller. They, they don't have any insurance. And then they'll go sue the seller's broker maybe, or even their own broker because they didn't catch it or they were part of the problem, who knows. But those people get insurance. So those people will get, their insurance will take care of everything. But that buyer and that seller, they're going to be financing that lawsuit. Wow. And, and another thing in that kind of situation, if you're dealing with uh, what typical real estate, what they call a car contract, which is the California Association of Realtors, and that contract has an attorney's fees clause which means that whoever wins the prevailing party gets to obtain their reasonable attorney's fees from, from the loser. And so that's a big deal. Think about that. You go and you finance a lawsuit, you pay $150,000, $200,000 to see this all the way through or defend it. Even you're, maybe you're just defending it. You're not even prosecuting it. Then what happens if you lose, you just pay 200 grand to get there. And then you feel, and then you lose and then you're like, oh no, now I have to pay them 200,000 for their attorney's fees. That's it's a $400,000 mistake in the way, you know what I mean? Wow. And, that, and that's the thing is you can wow. have the best case on paper. So like, like going back to the example of, of me, you and Lee, right? So the fact that the, the like titles in my name and, and you guys don't have title, there is exceptions that go into real estate contracts that say that they have to be in writing. It's called the statute of fraud. It's like a little nuancey kind of exception. And that would be a defense that I would try to assert against you guys. Would it work? I don't know, but it could. So you guys could go and finance this lawsuit all the way through. And then I get out on this technicality. And then you guys just paid all this money for nothing. And I walk away from the property. Now it could work out in the, you know, the alternative where I get screwed and then they're like, Hey, you defrauded them you got to pay punitive damage. Blah, blah, blah. So, you know, you could get a big recovery as well, but it's, there's a risk. There's a balancing act there. And I'm throwing a lot High of stakes. <laughs> yeah. Was, in your, and you're like, in this situation, isn't there a step like before getting to the attorney, does it happen where like people just try to work this out before needing oh, of course. it to go to like an attorney? Yeah, almost every case we have, we like especially like the example I gave you with the real estate and the car contract. In the in those car contracts, it also has a clause where it, it says that you have to mediate first and attend mediation. Oh, that's what it's called, mediation. Okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So no, that's not always the case with every kind of claim, but real estate claims that deal with that type of car contract, that that's what you have to do to get your attorney's fees back. And so usually everybody is agree in agreement with that. And what that and what that is is basically you just basically go prepare what's called a brief and you just lay out your position. Each side does it. You give it to a neutral third party that's usually like a, a very experienced lawyer or a retired judge, and they just read over everything and and they just kind of play devil's advocate and try to get the sides to find some kind of some kind of a deal that they can reach through compromise. <laughs> and it, it's hard. It's not it's not easy. I mean, the, usually the the main thing that we, we'd like to remind our clients in that situation is like, hey, you can accept this now, but you may pay X amount going forward and not even get this. So it's like they have they, they have to make that decision on their own. And it's and it's it's a business decision, really. You know what I mean? It's a weighing of the risk and how much they're going to have to put into this. Matt, like there's all kinds of different like things you could sue someone over. But is there a way to like gauge whether it's worth it? Like obviously financial uh, benefit from going through a lawsuit is something you have to weigh out because you don't want to go through all this just to get 
five thousand or ten thousand dollars. When when can you say like, all right, it's worth it to go through this based off the situation? Is there a way to evaluate that? Yeah, obviously every every case is going to have different strengths and weaknesses in their arguments, right? And so you always take that into account. And then there's other things that like, what damages are you facing? Are you at risk of having to pay their attorney's fees? And then in analyzing that, you got to consider how strong are your arguments and how good are their defensive or whatever, whatever side you're on, what, how good is the other side's arguments? And it's, it's, there's not like, there's like an exact formula. It's just, it's more of like, Hey, you just have to put the full picture in front of the client. Hey, this is, this is how it could work out. You know, on one side, this is how it could work out on the other. There's all this in the middle that could happen. We don't know, but this is what we do know. And so it's just basically giving them everything that, so they can make an informed decision. Cause it's like, we, we never know. I mean, you could have an argument that is just an amazing argument and then you get a judge or something that just didn't do their diligence or just isn't seeing it your way. And then you're completely lost. And it's like, even though you had an amazing argument, it's like nothing is guaranteed in, in litigation. There's so many technicalities, there's so many loopholes and there's so many little external factors that could, that could just screw things up. I mean, I've seen it happen so many times. And so like to, to kind of answer your question directly, I've had so many clients where we get into what, what we call pre-litigation, where we go and write like a demand letter and we ask like, hey, you know, let's settle this for this. We don't want to litigate. We'll even attach a copy of the complaint and say, hey, look, this is what we're going to file if you guys don't agree. And I've had so many clients that where we get a pushback from the other side and they're like, kick rocks, we're not paying you anything. We're going to file this against you. And then the clients look at that and they're just like, and we just give them the full landscape and they're just like, hey, it's, it's not worth it for us to go forward. I mean, I, I can't even tell you that how many times. And, and you know what's even scarier is that you'll get these situations where these people are so like hopped up on emotion and so driven and ready to go with this lawsuit that they're not thinking clearly in those first couple months that it's, they, all they want to do is get this person. This person wronged them and they want to take them out. And, and part of our job is we have to identify that and kind of try to bring them back down to reality. <laughs> and then also it's, it's just what happens in those kind of cases is that you'll litigate for like two years and then two years are gone. And this guy's spent 80 to a hundred thousand dollars and they're just like, they're done. You know what I mean? They're just like, they want out. They'd rather just pay, get nothing and just end this, this bleeding of money basically. So, and then that's when you see people that that's when settlements happen where people will end up accepting a lot less than they should. And, and, that, and that's the part that bugs me is because like right now, a lot of my cases, you're litigating against attorneys and sometimes they have insurance and sometimes they don't. And when they don't, you have the attorney representing himself. And when he represents himself, all they try to do is no, not, not every attorney that does this, but a lot of them, the vast majority try to game the system. They're an attorney. They know how it works. So they just go and they try to obstruct and just do horrible things that just drain the client of money. Like in, in one of my cases, I served discovery on one person. Uh, it's been 14 months over a year. Discovery is supposed to be answered in 30 days unless you give like extensions and stuff. And extensions are pretty routine. But it's been 14 months and this guy is still not giving me a turn. It, it, it responses that are, that are compliant responses. So it's just, and, and he knows what's up. I'm spelling it out for him, but he, was he's been litigating who knows you know probably over 30 years so it's like you know what am i going to tell him that he hasn't seen before so it's just it's a lot of gamesmanship and if you get the wrong attorney on the other side that likes to do those kind of things it can it can be a bad thing for your client 
and unfortunately that 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 happens a lot and and and, and what it ha- what it, it's just like a in my in my mind it's like a perversion of justice because these people that have very good claims and have like should should be on the right side of things are getting screwed over because they just don't have the money to see it through and it's just yeah. like and in my in my mind that's so wrong it's like i i feel like seeing what we charge and everything like i feel horrible about the attorney's fees that our clients incur but that we have to we have to play the game the right way we have to employ the best practices and in doing that it's 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 not cheap yeah one common thing i think that you see is renters versus landlords when is it time to take action if you're a renter like maybe your landlord did something where they kicked you out i know you and i've talked about i think a couple cases where there was wrongful eviction when is it worth it to go through the legal process and then on the other side of that what if you're the landlord and you have someone that's not paying and just staying there when is it worth it to go through that process of seeking legal action well i mean it's it's kind of different on each side right like the landlord like in those kind of situations like i mean i don't, I don't do a lot of evictions i mean i've worked on a couple of different things and my first uh my first glimpse into the legal world, I was interning at an eviction law firm. So I, I, I got a little insight on evictions, but like, I mean, usually you work into the, those kind of situations. Landlords usually have money, right? And in the tenants, they usually don't because that's obviously they're not paying their rent. So it's not like they're going to be able to afford an attorney. So evictions, I mean, they, they, they defense attorney for evictions can cost a decent amount of money, but it's not as expensive as you might see in like a, a civil litigation lawsuit that the evictions are, are they're, they're expedited. And right now it's, it's like, I don't even know if you can evict anybody with the moratoriums and whatnot going on. So, I mean, to answer your question, I mean, the, the land, in my opinion, the landlord should act immediately. I mean, if you have a tenant that's not paying his bills and there's, they're not communicating or whatever, I mean, you want to, you want to get your cash flow going. And for the tenant, I mean, it's just, it's circumstantial, right? Because they, they don't really want to have to come, if they're already in that situation, they don't want to have to come out of pocket and go get an attorney unless they have to. And what, and what you see, what I noticed when I was working at the eviction firm is you see a lot of these tenants that have gone through the eviction process before and they're savvy with the procedure and they can give these attorneys that know what they're doing a fight just because they've been through it before and they know what to do. And, and there's a lot of things you can do in an eviction to, to kind of slow down the process if you're on the other side. So as far as an, what do you call it? A tenant hiring an attorney. I mean, that's, that's completely circumstantial, but the landlord, <laughs> I would do it right away. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Yeah. And, and also sense. too, like, you know, one thing I kind of noticed in reviewing all the landlord stuff and stuff I've dealt with my family managed their property. It, you, you always got to err on the side of being reasonable. You know what I mean? That's a lot of what the courts look like is, is this landlord being reasonable in the circumstances? And that, you know, that's one of the biggest factors that you can have on your side. Nice. Yeah, I think it's interesting right now with uh, all this COVID stuff as a tenant, as a landlord, like what's wrong, what's right? Because there's a lot of different, there's a lot of what they, what they call fake news out there. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff out there. It's hard to know, like, what, what are my rights as a well, landlord and, you, and as a tenant? Also, too, like, think about it, like, like these, a lot of these mortgage lenders are, are giving people breaks and letting them add the, the payments onto the end of the loan or whatever, however they're doing it. And if it's a commercial property, then... I don't know if they're doing it with commercials, so don't quote me on that. But if it's a commercial property, then these people get to, they're not hurting that bad either. Or, or the, even residential too. I mean, they, they're, not, they're not taking the hit like they would normally hit because they're not having to pay this mortgage out of pocket. 
So this moratorium that's going on and allowing all these people to kind of not be evicted, yeah. if that landlord is not having to pay his mortgage, technically he's not in that bad of a situation yet. And then also too, think about this. Like there, there's a lot of, a lot of tenants that are still paying, right? Sergio, you're still working, you're still paying. And the, a lot of people are like that. And some of these landlords are, are taking that mortgage break not paying, you know, not having to pay that mortgage right now, but still collecting the rents and getting to accumulate that money in the bank, which may or may not be a bad, you know, good decision. You know, it could be a good decision. I don't know. They get a little bit of nest egg of cash to sit on. It's crazy. So, yeah. So, so back to the example. So finding an attorney, right. Then you find that attorney, you're going to have to pay him a retainer five to 10,000. And then that five to 10,000, right. I mean, most attorneys, I think the market right now is at least 300 per hour, right. For right for just average civil litigation attorney, they got to take everything you give them. Like say the example with me, you and Lee, like they're going to want all the, the property documents, all of our emails, text messages, communications with each other. They're going to want to see that whole picture. Right. And then you're going to get, give them all that stuff. And then they're going to go and examine your file and look at it and research the relevant legal issues in doing that each case is different. Right. But it, I mean, like we'll use the case that I'm using as an example with you and Lee, that's going to take 10 to 30 hours of research. You know what I mean? Just to figure that out and draft that complaint and get that perfect. Cause and, and that, that might not be the, re, the, the approach that all attorneys take, but we take that approach because we like to front load our, our cases with research. We don't like to be surprised later on by something coming up and being like, Oh, Whoa, like where did that come from? We didn't anticipate that. I mean, we try to look at the claim from a bird's eye view and anticipate everything that opposing counsel does. And it, that's not always possible, but if taking that approach, it's just so much safer for your client. It's ridiculous. And, and I can't tell you how many things that we've been able to preempt because of doing that. So, I mean, in my personal opinion, that is the best approach. Some attorneys might not agree with it. Some, some attorneys just like to go and draft the complaint, file it, and then go figure it out later. And I don't think that's a good idea. But it does save the client money. But arguably, if some big old surprise comes on later down the road, it's going to end up costing the client even more money to fix it. So there, I don't know. There, there, I think there's a big split in opinions with, with lawyers on how to approach this stuff. But from, from what I've seen from my experience, I, I really like this approach. Well, Matt, I mean, just from what you're talking about, it just seems like, say I got, I feel like I got hosed, someone wronged me and maybe financially I'm out like $12,000, right? That's a, that's a substantial amount of money. And I, I want to, I'm like, uh, I know in my heart that I was wronged. Maybe I can't prove it. Maybe I can, but you know, just for you, if I like hired you and I said, Hey man, I need you to do the, your research. You spend 10, 10 hours on it and I've you probably charge maybe like $400. I don't know well, the rough average of what attorneys might charge in the area. That's $4,000, right? So what you're saying is basically, and that's not, that's just the beginning, right? This is, this is just, just to get, figure it out. Just, yeah. Holy, <laughs> holy <laughs> tamale. So discovery, if I'm going into battle with this lawsuit, I'm already out 4,000 if I don't win. And then that's just to get started. So like, what you're saying is like, you got to make sure if you're going to do this, it's, it's got to be worth it, right? Exactly. Financially. Yeah. Also too, like think about it like, yeah, financially how much you're going to spend to get there, but also look at it like at, when you get to the end of the road, does this person even have money? Is, oh. the, is it even possible to collect from this person? Because you can go through and we can go whoop someone's ass in court, get this amazing judgment, 
for $700,000 or something. And then, oh, wait, this person has no money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or this so, person's going to go claim bankruptcy. Or you know so what I mean? If they, it's have just no money, if they have no money, Matt, is that just like you throw it on there and it's on their like credit report or something and they owe it, they have to pay it off to you over time or? Well, it, it depends. Yeah. So if you go and you get a judgment, then then basically there's there's collection activities that you can go pursue. You can put a lien on their house or any property. You can go try to garnish their wages. You can levy their bank accounts. There's, there's steps you can take, but if they don't have property, they don't have money in their bank accounts. It's like not much that's going to do. I mean, I, I've been in court with people with the, trying to collect money. Like I, a lot of credit cards I've seen go after people that just didn't pay or whatever. And they do these things in court where they, they have like a, it's called a debtor's exam. I did it once when we were trying to do a collection against the client. And basically you show up in court and you and that person go into the jury room and you get to take their deposition and ask them anything you want about their financial stuff. There's no privacy. There's no nothing. They have to be straight up with you. And in doing that, one of the things that I've seen some of these, these collection attorneys do is they do like, I think it's called like a turnover order. And I've actually seen people have to give rings off their fingers for <laughs> necklaces in court. Oh. Yeah. Like I was just thinking, I was like, and this guy's like, he was telling the judge, he's like, no, this is my family heirloom. I can't do that. And then, and then the judge is like, Hey, that's too bad. And, and so then what happened wow. was the guy was, the guy tried to take it off his finger. He physically could not get it off his finger because it had been there for so long and whatever, yeah. you know, and, and the, it, even the bailiff was messing with it. Right. And he's like, I can't get it off judge. And the judge is like, you know what, given the circumstances, I'm, I'm just, he gave him a pass on it. And I was just like, whoa. But I mean, think about that though. Like something that had been in your family for years, you, you have to give it up in court right there. Like nothing like that. That's, that's kind of terrifying in a way, right? Wow. That is crazy. Yeah. So, so, so back to what I was saying uh, with Lee, with your, your situation of, Hey, you're going after 12 grand. I, I would, as if you came to me right off the bat, before I even spent any money researching or figuring that out, I would tell you that you have two options. With $12,000 at stake, your first option is to bring it in. Because there, there's, there's like, the way to look at it is in state court, there's like levels to it, all right? Small claims being the first level, which is zero to 10,000. And then you go to what's called a limited civil case, which is like, I think, pretty much anything that's 10 to 25,000. It can be under 10,000, but usually you go in that range of 10 to 25,000. And then you have unlimited, which is what most of our cases are, which are 25,000 or more. Mm -hmm. And so in, in a limited civil case, you're not going to, you probably won't have the same amount of costs. It's not going to be, a, it'll, it'll probably be under a hundred thousand to see a limited civil case all the way through, just because there's, there's certain things that are streamlined and it's just not, there's just not that much money at, at, at stake. So it's just not going to be as crazy of a process, right? Most of the, most of the time in these cases that I have, I mean, we're, we're fighting at anywhere from. 200,000 to a couple million dollars. So it, it's just, there's a big range there. And then, then see that, cause when you get into those big numbers, then yeah, it's, it's worth it to go spend this money to chase that. Right. Yeah. And um, yeah, depending on the circumstances. But so like in your case, you have two options. You could do the limited one, or you could even say, Hey, I'll just go to small claims. It's not going to cost me more than like 150 bucks or whatever it costs to file a small claims action. And you just go there, you represent yourself. It's very, relaxed and informal you just basically go tell your judge the side and show your evidence and then the judge can be you can get up to ten thousand dollars so you would walk away from two thousand dollars but you would save a crazy amount of money in having to litigate it so i might yeah think that okay would be the best that makes under your, uh, for your circumstances that's you great know, even that's though you great advice full, yeah so so small small claims is the way to go under 10k right yeah small claims under, under 10k, 10K yeah, yeah.
Yeah. Awesome. That's good. That's good advice, Matt. Thank you. Not, not <laughs> yeah, that, that not that I actually have that. It's all hypothetical, by the way. <laughs> but it's good to know that. Is that like Judge Judy, Matt? Like Judge Judy shows like that, like yeah, yeah, exactly. Random, yeah, she, like, she deals oh, with like, a lot of little small claims things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they kind of like glamorize that. That, but that's exactly what it's like. It's kind of informal. You see a bunch of like people that have no business in court trying to explain something to a judge. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's just that the, the rules are a little more relaxed. The judge, is, it's just a, it's just a better atmosphere for that kind of thing. But so 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 just think about that too, though. Also, like with the the. The example I just gave you, right, that you're gonna have to pay this five to ten thousand dollar retainer, and then this attorney is gonna have to go do ten to thirty hours of work. I mean, what's thirty hours times three hundred dollars? That's nine grand. Jeez. So your your retainer's gone, and you just fought, started. Uh. <laughs> and so then you're gonna have to replenish that retainer. You don't replenish that retainer, most attorneys are gonna be like, "Okay, see ya." You know what I mean? <laughs> and your ten k, your nine k is just gone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just gone just like that. And, and, and it's crazy. And that, that shocks a lot of people in the beginning. And then, and then they see that once the law starts gets going, that's just how things work. It's just, it's expensive. It takes time. And uh, yeah, it's, it's scary in a lot of ways. So, so let me go over some of like some of the basic rules to give you guys even a little bit more of insight, right? So we just talked about what it takes to research and file the complaint, right? Mm-hmm. So then once that's done, you go serve that person. And so you have companies that go and serve it that that can or cannot be a, an obstacle most of the time serving people isn't, isn't too hard but you can get some people that will try to evade it won't answer their door or skip town or something we've, we've had that happen <laughs> and uh, and then there's other options that you go through but the, see that's a, that's a, that's a good example of how something that's normally a straightforward thing can end up being i've had clients that have spent five thousand dollars just to serve somebody it's just it, it there's you just never know what's going to happen and so to kind of give you guys a glimpse of just the the, the start of a lawsuit, you file that complaint, right? They have 30, that's kind of like, that starts the lawsuit. You get a case number and you're in the system. They have 30 days to respond once they're, once they're served with that lawsuit. Hmm. So once, once you give them that lawsuit and they are, they're personally handed it, they have that, that 30 days to respond. But in the, in the interim of that 30 days, we, the, the people are the, uh, the plaintiff's attorney, the people that filed the lawsuit, we get to take a deposition in the first 20 days if we want, or we can serve written discovery, which is like basically just questions that we want to ask them that are just written questions that they have to serve written answers to. We can do that within 10 days. And so you're like, Oh wow, that's really quick. Right? Like why does this process take so long? If you can jumpstart those things, it's those things, those discovery things, depositions, written discovery. That's where a lot of the fight is. There is a lot of fight because that's basically what you're doing with that discovery is you're trying to get the evidence you need to prove your case. And you're trying to figure out like, hey, what's their defensive position? They're going to give you all whatever, what they call is their affirmative defenses and saying that, hey, if everything that they're saying in this lawsuit is true, these defenses trump what they're saying. Like we defeat them because of these. And so then you have to go and evaluate all those and figure out which ones have merit. And, and in a lot of situations, you get most of the the the, when, when somebody responds to a complaint, it's typically called an answer. That's, that's where they assert all of their affirmative defenses, right? And just basically say that, hey, the, this is why they don't win. And most people throw the kitchen sink in there. You'll see things in there that have no business in there. Like, <laughs> like, like for instance, like somebody will go and I'll file a lawsuit over somebody that didn't disclose something in a real estate transaction. And then I'll have somebody 
filing uh, or saying an affirmative defense to that's the statute of limita limitations like oh it applies to like the the government doing toxic waste spills or something like just something just absurd you're like what the heck <laughs> and, and what happens is people just throw everything in there so then it creates another challenge that you have to go sift through that and see what actually has merit and so that and you know that that takes time it takes time and it takes research sounds expensive yeah exactly and, and you're yeah. just at the start that's just each side basically putting their positions on paper so you know what i mean and then, then that's when you get into the figuring everything out and preparing for trial and so that that discovery process can be huge and, and then all this stuff i'm talking about discovery this is assuming that they don't bring any uh, what are called they're like they're like dispositive motions and i guess the way to say that is a motion that will throw the lawsuit out it'll, mm -hmm. it'll get it out basically throw it out of court and and motions are basically that kind of give like a plain English thing of it is that basically you're you're presenting a question to the judge and the person that brings the motion gets to file what's called the opening papers the opening brief and then the person opposing it gets to file an opposition and then the person that filed the motion gets the last say in what's called a reply brief mm -hmm. and then the judge goes and takes all this into account and he makes a decision and there's several motions that can be brought within the first 60 days of a lawsuit that have the possibility of getting everything tossed out. There's a demur, a motion to strike. They have, there's a special motion to strike, which is commonly known as an anti-slap motion. And so there's just all these like weird things that are legalese or whatever you want to call them that, that can just present all these problems before you even start to get into the lawsuit you know, to the real issues. So it's like, it, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've had a client that spends 75,000 before we even really get to the discovery stage, just dealing <laughs> nah, with all these motions. It, it goes back to Lee's point. Like it sounds to me like only go through getting a lawyer. If it's like 50, a hundred K, like something super that's going to have an impact. Like it's, this yeah, is yeah. it's got, it's gotta, it's gotta be a lot of money at stake and you have to have the facts on your side because i mean yeah. you could be right i mean i can't even tell you how many times i've seen somebody that's right and they should win but they don't because of some kind of technicality or nuance or somebody knew what they were doing and took advantage and screwed them over and so it's like it does, you don't always get that perfect result but yeah litigation's messy <laughs> i mean there's really no no other way to put it it's a very very messy thing yeah and so, and then, but yeah, so we've talked about all this stuff about preparing for trial. Now let's, let's talk about trial itself. I mean, the, the, I, I did a jury trial. It was almost two weeks and it was, I mean, we weren't even charging our full rates. I don't think for this one. And I don't remember exactly what it was, but I mean, it, it, it can be, I mean, it ranges from 30 to 50 grand for trial. For, for something that long, two weeks. Because, I mean, you got to think about it. Your attorneys are in trial usually six to eight hours a day. That full six to eight hours. You're in court that whole day, right? You get a lunch break and, you know, little breaks in between. But then after that whole thing is done, they have to go and prepare for the next day. Prepare my questions for the next witness. Prepare my closing statement. See what evidence that I'm going to be introducing that day. I mean, there's just so many things to, to prepare for that it's just a constant thing. So you may be in court for six to eight hours. But then you got to spend four to five hours after court preparing for that very next day. Wow. So, I mean, your attorney is going to be billing anywhere from eight to 12 hours a day while they're in trial at $300 an hour. You're looking at about three grand a day. <laughs> you're in trial well, you're, for, you you're know, pretty much all, as an attorney, you're on the clock like all day. You can be. If, yeah. If it takes you all night to prepare, you can bill your client for however long you're working. 
yeah, whatever, what I mean, because whatever it takes, right. You gotta, you gotta do the best that you can to put them in that winning position. And can it you is, guys it start is like minimizing it, it, maybe get it done in like an hour, maybe two hours. <laughs> well, and that's the thing is that like, that, we, there, I can't tell you how many times I go start a project and I'm like, oh, that's only gonna take me like an hour and a half, right? And that's not gonna be that big. And then I, before I know it, it's four and a half hours. And I'm just like, God, I, I, I feel wrong charging the client for this, but God, this yeah, thing is sure. stressful yeah, and, and it's horrible for me to do and to go through. And it's like, I can't just discount my time on that because I just, you know what I mean? Cause it, I feel bad about it. Yeah, it's like, sure. that's what it really took to do it right. And it's uh, I, I have that conflict all the time. Like I, I see, see the bills that go out to my clients and it's just like, there's nothing that you can do. You just got to, the only thing you can do is just make sure you're employing the best practices and doing the best you can to put them in that, that superior position. And so, yeah, so, the, so the, 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 I, you know, we just talked about trial, right? And how 20, 50 grand, mm -hmm. whatever, depending on the length of the trial. But you think, oh yeah, trial, I got a verdict. It's over. Nope. <laughs> you have what's called post-trial motions. And so that's where go, people go and they fight. Good Lord. You know, hey, yeah, I, wanna, I want my attorney's fees back. Or, oh, hey, I think the jury got this wrong. I want to I wanna overturn the jury's verdict. Or, oh, hey, the judge made this decision on evidence wrong and I want to overturn that. And then there's all these like little post-trial motions that can be brought that you want to challenge something or you want to recover something. And uh, that's easily another 10 to 30 grand right there. And then say everything's all done. You have this amazing result. We got you a million dollar verdict and everything's all great. And then you're like, okay, now I'm going to go collect. And you're like, cool. This is a corporate I'm suing, let's just say, for example, I'm suing Apple. They got so much money, I'll have no problem collecting this. They're going to pay me right away. And then all of a sudden, Apple goes and files an appeal. <laughs> and so now they're appealing your trial court decision. And that means that opens up this whole new door to some bullshit. <laughs> and, well, they, can, they can stay in court forever. Money doesn't exactly. matter. Exactly. And that's the problem, right, is that a lot of these, these companies, they, they, got, they got endless pockets. And the average person doesn't. And so you'll see a lot of just like, like I was saying, perversions of justice because they can finance the lawsuit. You know, there's, really a, a, there's a great saying, and I think it's 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 just pertinent to this show. It's the golden rule. Do you guys know the golden rule? Treat others as no. As it's, you want to be trans. It's uh, the person with the gold rules. That that that, <laughs> that, that that's that's the golden rule. <laughs> yeah, no, totally, totally. Shout out, shout out to my buddy Jay. He always tells me that. He always says that, He always tells me the golden rule, and I hate it, but it's right. <laughs> yeah, no. In, in this circumstance, it's right in so many ways, and it, uh, yeah, it's unfortunate. But I mean, think about this. You you go to appeal. The average appeal. I mean, I, I've 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 been involved in, I think like maybe three or four appeals at this point, and the average appeal. I mean, it takes most of the time. God, a year, year and a half before they even say, okay, guys, we're ready to hear it. And here's your briefing schedule. So, I mean, that, so not only do you not get to collect your judgment for a year and a half, but you have to go pay for an appellate attorney. So some attorneys, like we, we do appellate stuff too, but there, some attorneys don't want to practice appellate law. So that they'll go and you hire a specialist. And then, and then like I said, I, I, we, uh, I, I'm co-counsel with Myron Moskowitz on a case that, that he's on for in the sixth district court of appeals. A lot of a lot of attorneys like us will team up with an appellate lawyer because it's good. And I mean, that guy's like a Jedi. <laughs> he does. So it's like you want somebody like that in your corner. But the thing is, I mean, to, so we talked about the lawsuit. Now let's talk about financing that appeal. 
you want to fight that appeal, I think conservatively, you're looking at 50 to 100,000. Man, it never stops. Well, yeah, because l- l- let's look at appellate attorneys. The average. Give, give the clients a break. No, I know, right? <laughs> and, 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 and that's ex- that, what you guys are saying is exactly how I feel. I'm like, God, when does my client get the little breathing? Can, room? I, can, I, ask, can I ask for a discount if my attorney has a full arm sleeve? Yeah. Oh, I will definitely charge you. <laughs> Matt, here, here, you will have the highest retainer. <laughs> here's the biggest scam that I'm realizing as you're teaching us right now. You guys get paid hourly. Correct. End that, and shit won't be as. I mean, it won't be as good lucrative for you guys, but for the client. Well, but also too, you got You got to think of like what goes into to being a lawyer as into, into calculating those fees because on its face, right, three hundred dollars an hour, or like. Damien charges like $600 an hour. It looks outrageous, right? You're like, oh my God, that's so much money. But when, when you go into overall all our overhead, insurance, rent, all, I mean, our research tools, we, we pay so much. We pay over $1,000, I think, in our research tools because we, 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 we use them all. We use Lexus, Westlaw, CB, all the big research companies. Most, most places only use one. But we, we go and we take them all because we want, when we research things, we look at it at every angle. We want to see what every book says about it, not just one. And so there's just a lot of ex- overhead expenses and being an attorney that, that go into that fee. And, and you know, what's sad is that not all attorneys do that, right? Not all attorneys have all the, the resources for research and rent and all that stuff. And so some of them charge this fee. They don't have that overhead <laughs> and they don't. So there, it's just, it, it's weird that market has gotten set at that very high rate, but it's just the reality of being a lawyer. It's, it's, it's an expensive profession just to, to practice. And then, and then, so, I mean, in some here, what, what, what are we talking? And, 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 you know, actually to speak about what you're saying, Sergio, is that's why they have contingency lawyers too. So like you were talking about when's it worth it to pursue something, right? Yeah. You have, you have like, say, say like in, in the context of like a personal injury, right? Say like you get into a car accident or somebody like, say like a truck driver was drunk and hit you or something, you know, and you got injured and you need to, you're like, oh sh- crap, I don't have the money to go after this guy. You know, and I don't have any money to go after this guy, but I, I have $250,000 in medical bills. And it's like, I mean, he's obviously wrong. It's not, it's not a close call, but you're like, how am I going to hire an attorney and pay an hourly rate to, to, to get, to make this right? I was thinking if there was a way, like, let's say you as a, as a, as a firm, you look at my case and you analyze it at the beginning and you're like, I think this is going to cost a hundred thousand. And me as a client, I say, I agree to pay a hundred thousand. You're taking me on, but you have to, if anything goes over, that's on you. That's your risk. I think that's a model that should like. Yeah. We, happen. people ask us to do that all the time and we will never. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lawyers are never <laughs> going to do it. But like, <laughs> well, Cause it's too risky for us. You know what I mean? Cause think about that. Like think if we get into a case and we take it a certain way and we're only halfway there and a hundred thousand is gone. It's like, we don't want to finance taking that all the rest of the way through trial and whatever else happens. Cause it's all unknowns at that point. And, uh, it's just, it, it, I mean, I totally get what you're saying. And in, in, in like a, in a fair world, that would be the right way. There's nothing like fair. About litigation. Like a, <laughs> if you could get to like build a model. If someone could build a model, like using historical reference, this case based off our historical data is going to cost 200,000 client. It's going to cost you 200 G's. And then if it's over, it's like, I mean, most of the time it shouldn't be over. If historical data says that's what it's going to cost. Right? See, but you see that that would that's the reason that that's hard to do is because there's so many X factors. There's so many with all these 
the way that the, the opposing counsel decides to litigate against you. Are they going to be compliant or are they going to fight you at every step? Are they going to bring motions that have no merit just to cause obstruction and noise? So you have to deal with it. They're going to slam you with crazy amounts of discovery and you got to do all these, answer all these things, just take hours and hours. It's just so much of it is based on litigation conduct from each side that you're just, and, and, and the thing is, is like what we found through everything is that you have to stay aggressive. You can't, you have to keep your foot on the gas, even though it might seem like it's a lot of attorney's fees at that moment. What we've learned is it actually saves them attorney's fees because you're getting them prepared quickly for, for trial and you're getting through basically all the bullshit. And, and once, because there's only so much bullshit that one side can throw at you that what, you know what I mean? And once you're through that, it's not going to happen again for the most part. So it's just, in, in, in some ways you just have to keep your foot on the gas and nose down and just grind and that's how it is and unfortunately for for clients that means that's probably a lot of attorney's fees but i mean the thing is they're going to get those fees anywhere i mean you should see some of the i mean god uh, uh, like a lot of the the really well well-known attorneys in, in our area the real estate attorneys i mean i won't name names but i mean they they're all five to six hundred dollars an hour and then then you get to appellate specialists they're ranging from 700 to 900 an hour. I mean, you, I mean, that's just crazy, right? Like <laughs> yeah, wow. that's, that, that's just insane. So yeah. So I guess the moral of the story is that depending on the type of lawsuit you have, I mean, if it's just a, a regular civil litigation, not something that can be taken on a contingency, you're, you're, you're going to have to be looking to spend 150 to 300,000. And there's all these other factors and things that go into it. So I just, you know, I'm not trying to scare people from litigation because obviously if the situation, if you're, if your circumstances, yeah, if you're in circumstance, if you're in a certain circumstance, then that is the way you need path that you need to take. But I just think it's no, I mean, I can't, there's very few clients that come to me with a realistic expectation of what litigation is going to look like. And I think providing people with that picture now and before they ever, ever become a client is something powerful because I think it can help them in how they deal with the situation when it presents themselves. Like, Hey, how much do I want to fight with this guy? This could end up in a lawsuit or something. You know what I mean? Like they, I think yeah. knowing that like, cause so many people think, Oh, no big deal. I'll just go sue them. Right. And it's just, it's just not that easy. It's not that cut and dry. Awesome. Matt, thank you for that's That's amazing info you gave us today. And I think you gave us a very valuable perspective on what everyone needs to think about if they're going to go down this long lengthy expensive road so yeah i think it's important for us to all really understand this so thank you we're all done for today you've been listening to the free retiree show so long for now Advisory services offered through Securities American Advisors, a registered investment advisor with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Securities offered through Securities America Incorporated. Member FINRA, www.finra.org, SIPC, www.sipc.org, a separate entity. Lee Michael Murphy is licensed with the California Department of Insurance, license 0H18660. The free retiree, Securities American Advisors, and Securities America Incorporated are separate entities. Career advisor Sergio Patterson and attorney Matt McElroy are not affiliated 
with Security America companies. Securities America Incorporated, Security America Advisors, and its representatives do not provide tax or legal advice. Therefore, it's important to coordinate with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. Third-party sourced information comments are not verified, may not be accurate, and are not necessarily representative of all client or audience experience. A portion of this event was paid by a third party. The opinions of career advisor Sergio Patterson do not reflect the opinions of Facebook Incorporated. The opinions of attorney Matt McElroy do not reflect the opinions of Castaneda and company.